Good morning. I want to thank Pastor Steve for asking me to fill in and give the message to you today. My name is Susan Sapp, and for those of you I haven't had the pleasure of meeting before, I'm the mother of grown kids and an almost grown 17-year-old daughter who thinks she's grown, and a, grand, yes, and a grandmother of one. I spoke for Steve last July about 36 hours after my grandson was born here in Omaha, and he's been the light of my life since then. I've also been a trial lawyer for the last 29 years. And I've been blessed to be part of the Horizons Community Church community in uh, Lincoln for the last 18 years, and we enjoyed having Steve Todd as our pastor before he came to Faith Westwood. I committed my life to Christ a little over 20 years ago, 21 or 22 years ago. So if we do the math, that means that for more than 30 years of my life, I spent my life not being in relationship with Christ. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But our topic today is Jesus, lover of the defector. And as you've heard, our scripture focus is in Matthew chapter 15. In the scripture that you just heard, we're reminded that God doesn't call us to be conformed to man-made rules. He loves us with an unceasing love that gives us the freedom to be our authentic selves, to tell the truth about who we are, and to live the life that God calls us to live. So let's unbundle that a little bit more. Matthew chapter 15 shows us how the Pharisees judged others for the actions that the Pharisees felt broke the Pharisees' rules. These weren't God's rules. Uh, they were man-made rules. So Jesus denounces the Pharisees as hypocrites. He points out that they honor God with their lips, but that their hearts are far away from God. He tells them their worship is empty. And to further illustrate his point, he heals the woman's daughter because she had great faith. So what do we take away from this passage? We see that Jesus does not praise those who hold themselves out as being better than others. And he doesn't enter, in, he doesn't enter into the lives of those who make up man-made rules. And he doesn't support our judging others for not following our man-made rules. In fact, later in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus tells off the Pharisees uh, in some kind of biblical hissy fit for having their man-made rules be more important to them than God. Jesus tells them they are clean and beautiful on the outside and full of dead bones and filth on the inside. He calls them snakes and tells them they won't see heaven until they acknowledge that he is the one who comes in the Lord's name. It was a pretty significant tongue lashing directed at some people who held themselves in great regard as religious leaders. And it's a scripture, Matthew 23 is a scripture that really spoke to me in the early part of my journey to Christ. I have been pretty open over the years about my journey to Christ, but every time I talked about it, there was a part that I left out. I just sort of yada, yada, yada over the top of it. Only one of my friends has ever said to me, Susan, someday tell us the rest of the story. So today I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. I grew up in church, but never really knew what it meant to have a relationship with Christ, and I certainly didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I went to a feel-good church, um, 
a church that never challenged anything, never rocked the boat. The teachings were basically that life is good, you're good, we're all good, everyone goes to heaven, just be a good person and you're good. But some, something was missing. In 1996, I had an amazing experience with a premature baby being placed in my care as guardian, and I saw God at work in some amazing ways. I saw some of the nurses in the NICU praying in ways that I'd never seen before. They just talked to God. When I tried to talk to people at my childhood church about what had happened with this premature baby, I felt shushed. Like I was basically being encouraged not to tell such outlandish supernatural tales. I knew then that the something more I was looking for wasn't going to find me there. But don't get me wrong, I was still obstinate about Christianity. I wasn't going to be one of those judgmental, hypocritical, crazy fundamentalist church-going people who prayed out loud and put their hands in the air, and I just wasn't. So I still floundered. But at that same time, we moved to an improbable house on an unlikely street at a ridiculously stupid time. And we moved in next door to Pastor John Harrington and his wife, Angela. And they never pushed anything on us. Eventually, they invited us to their church. And it was a whole new experience. It was baptisms and praise music and conversational prayer and the concept of a relationship with Christ. And it was life-changing. So usually I get to the point in my story where I just yada yada over the rest. I just say, and then I was baptized and committed my life to Christ, and that was 20 years ago. But the reality is that I was a much tougher nut to crack than that. It looks something like this. See, I wasn't going down without a fight. It took, took more than a year of God dragging and kicking, dragging me, kicking and screaming uh, for me to finally surrender. See, the more I felt called to commit my life to Christ, the more adamant I was that I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to talk about my feelings. I wasn't going to let people close to me. I wasn't going to ask people to pray for me. I was willing to admit that I was happier at our new church. I felt better, I understood more about Jesus, my kids were really enjoying church. That, that seemed good enough, right? It felt good, it was good, we were all good, good enough. I sure wasn't going to go to one of those Bible studies. And I wasn't going to tell anyone the real truth about me. And most of all, I was not going to lose my freedom. I wasn't going to follow some list of what Christians said I had to do and be. See, my perception of born-again Christians at that time was that if you let them close, they try to change you. They try to tell you what to believe, what music to listen to, who to vote for, how to spend your money, how to talk, how to walk, how to, what movies to go to, how to spend your time. So my perception that Christianity meant following a list of man-made rules really turned me off. And so did the idea that I thought I had 
which was that if I became a Christian that I had to judge other people. And that was a non-starter for me. I'm blessed with friends from every walk of life, every socioeconomic group, race, ethnicity, national origin, disability, sexual orientation, and I wasn't going to start judging people. About that time, a friend drug me kicking and screaming to a Bible study, and we were studying the book of Matthew. And Matthew 19 and Matthew 23 jumped out at me. And I started to see that the Jesus I thought I knew is not the Jesus of the Bible. I saw that the real Jesus didn't like man-made rules or hypocrisy any more than I did. And he blessed the defectors who were different than the so-called religious leaders. I started to realize that there is no list of things you have to do to be a Christian other than commit your life to Christ. You need to accept Jesus as the Son of God and your personal Savior. And it was a light bulb moment for me. I realized that committing my life to Christ wasn't bondage. But I still wouldn't do it. I felt relieved and I was more accepting of other people's decision to become a Christian, but I wasn't going to do it. I could handle things on my own. Things were good. Life was good. We were good. It was all good. Right up until it wasn't. Things started to go wrong. More and more things in our life became stressful and difficult. And looking back, I can see that God was ratcheting up the pressure on me. But I still wouldn't surrender. In fact, about this time, I got more obnoxious to people who were Christians. I told one of my kind and loving Christian friends that I was going to church in a new place, but I sure wasn't going to be like her. I wasn't going to ever need Jesus. I was good on my own. And as the life pressure continued to mount, I kept my heels dug in. I wasn't going to surrender control to some invisible God. I wasn't going to start airing my dirty laundry or giving money to a church. I wasn't surrendering my freedom to Jesus Christ, to some entity I had no reason to trust. I wanted God, but I also wanted my own way. I wanted God, but I also wanted my freedom. Then one day, I had some minor outpatient surgery, and I came home afterward, and no one else was home. And suddenly, I started to have a very severe allergic reaction to some medication they'd given me. My throat started closing up. I had trouble breathing. I was disoriented. I couldn't remember my doctor's name or phone number. Uh, and 21 years ago, nobody had cell phones. I started getting lightheaded and ch choking. And suddenly, all I could think of was, I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. I do believe Jesus is my Savior. I do surrender my life. I can't do it by myself. Just don't let me die. My kids are babies. And I kept repeating that over and over. And my thinking cleared enough to remember how to dial 911, and they picked me up and took me to the hospital and treated me, and I was fine. But I was changed. Something changed that day that softened my heart and opened up my mind. I think God literally choked some sense into me. Shortly after that, my oldest son wanted to get baptized. And a few days before he got baptized, he said, Mom, tell me again why you're not getting baptized. 
And I didn't have an answer. So we got baptized together, and I became a born-again Christian. It still sticks in my throat a tiny bit, but I can own it. Because what I have learned along the way is that true freedom comes in a life committed to Jesus Christ. I've learned that the bondage that I was so afraid of was actually the bondage that I was living in without Christ at the center of my life. Because what we know from the Bible is bondage comes from thinking everything is up to you, that life is all on your shoulders. The truth is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, for nothing will be impossible with God. Once I committed my life to Christ, I realized that I can do things here in a worldly sense. My efforts are important, especially when I do my best to use my efforts to glorify God. But in the end, things are going to turn out however God decides they're going to turn out. And I don't have to be hypervigilant and on alert every minute, controlling every detail of everybody else's life. In other words, I learned that the, li that the world will continue to revolve even if Susan Sapp isn't in it. I saw it most clearly about 14 years ago when I had back surgery. I had to stay home in a back brace for a month, and it cured my back problems, but it was a long month for everyone. I don't sit still well, and sitting in my recliner for a month was tough, especially when everyone around me wasn't doing things appropriately. I had to voice control everyone. The eye-opening part happened as I sat there with my laptop and watched the world continue on without me. I told my mom it was the closest to dying without having to die to see what it would be like when you're gone. The first few days people checked on me, but after that, eventually they started meeting with my clients, attending my hearings, taking care of my kids. And things still got done. The world did not end. And I realized everything is not on my shoulders. It was on God's shoulders. And God used that time to reveal to me that I wasn't so doggone important. That I could take vacations. And that things would still be okay without me hovering over everyone to make sure. And God revealed to me that if I could chill out even a little bit, he had some things he wanted me to do here on earth that were way more important than my job. So we also know from the Bible, bondage comes from thinking that fame, money, career, or possessions will bring you joy and salvation. The truth of the Bible is, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's 1 John 2. When we worship possessions and addictions and accomplishments, we miss the whole point, and we don't leave room in our lives for God to call us to do his work here on earth. In other words, we work hard to climb a ladder, but when we get to the top, we realize we've had the ladder up against the wrong wall. And then we also know from the Bible, bondage comes from believing people when they say that to be a real Christian, you have to blank. The truth is, 
There is no list. If someone tells you there's a list of how you have to vote, what party to be in, what charity to support, what music to listen to, how to talk, act, think, walk, feel, they're wrong. That's not biblical. We've been talking about fake news the last couple of years, in case you're not familiar with that term. Fake news is the deliberate spread of misinformation with the intent to mislead or manipulate thoughts and behaviors. I think the Pharisees invented fake news. They had all sorts of rules and restrictions that were man-made and not from God, and they used their rules to manipulate, mislead, and judge. So if you think you have to become someone else in order to commit your life to Christ, let me assure you there is no list, and what you're being told about a list is fake news. The Bible makes it clear. In Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7, See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, which conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts, rather than Christ. God will reveal himself to you and he'll convict you of change, but he does it in his own way, in his own time, for his purposes. And it won't necessarily be what other people think, should change or should be revealed to you. And you know why? Hear me on this point. We are not responsible for how God reveals himself to other people. We are not responsible for how God reveals himself to other people and calls them to change. It's not our job. And we know God wants us right now just the way we are. You don't have to clean up the messes in your life before you come to Christ. He wants you just as you are. Sometimes we sing the David Crowder song, Come As You Are, and think about those lyrics. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. We're all broken, so lift up your face. Wanderer, come home. You're not too far. Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. Because the truth is, the Bible tells us, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. Romans 10, verses 9 through 10. Committing your life to Christ doesn't mean you have to understand exactly what that means. Don't overthink it. Err on the side of faith. Reach out to him, and he will call you to become the person he designed you to be. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone, or what you've done, or if this whole concept of committing your life to Christ is new. It means you're willing to open your heart to Jesus and to the salvation and the freedom that comes in Christ. So here's the truth. True freedom comes in a relationship with Christ that is real and personal. It is the freedom to be transparent. When you commit your life to Christ, he calls you to be transparent, to let go of all the pretense, to acknowledge that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. He wants you to tell the truth about yourself to other people. And we know that because in James 5, 16, it says to confess your sins to one another and pray with and for 
each other. In Ephesians 4.25, it says, Put away falsehood and speak the truth to your neighbors, because we are all part of the same body of Christ. 21 years ago, I can tell you for sure, there is a 0% chance I would have stood up here and told you all this crazy stuff about myself. Even 14 years ago, the first time Steve Todd asked me to give a message on Sunday, I told him I'd rather take a beating. It's not the talking in front of people that's the problem. I do that for a living. It's the personal stuff God forces me to talk about that's the hard part. It's a lot like standing up here in your underwear. Don't visualize that. But let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned that what Rick Warren from Saddleback Church says is correct. Your biggest hurt, your most profound embarrassment, your deepest shame is almost always your greatest opportunity for ministry. If you are willing to be transparent, if you are willing to be uncomfortable, God will take your mess and turn it into a message. But you have to be willing to be uncomfortable because it's impossible to be both courageous and comfortable at the same time. A relationship with Christ is also freedom to do crazy stuff. When you know you're living your life for Christ, you want your actions to glorify God. And when you're willing to be part of his work here on earth, he will call you to do some crazy stuff. If you're getting an overwhelming tap on the shoulder that makes no sense, it's usually God. I've seen it too many times now to doubt it. Years ago, one time during my quiet time, I heard God tell me, tell Cheryl, Cheryl about the mustard seed. Huh? I ignored it because I wasn't sure who Cheryl was to begin with. But it persisted, tell Cheryl about the mustard seed. Finally, I realized that Cheryl was this woman I had just met in Bible study. And the thought kept bothering me. So at the next Bible study, I went over to Cheryl, and I thought, okay, I can either, either go over apologetically and, and embarrassed, or I can go over feeling that God is calling me to say something to her. So I went over to her, and I said, I don't know you very well, but I feel called to share with you the verse of Matthew 17, uh, verse 20, that says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. She seemed shocked, and I was kind of embarrassed. But a few months later, she committed her life to Christ, and during her testimony and her baptism, she said that that day and that verse was the turning point for her. And I don't tell you that to glorify myself. I tell you that to glorify God, because I had the privilege of God reaching out to Cheryl through my words. But I get it. It's, it's hard to balance responding when you're called to do something that you don't fully understand and, and social embarrassment. I get it. There's, but there's so much freedom in just doing what you feel God is calling you to do. I had to speak at the funeral of one of my best friends a couple years ago, and he was a prominent lawyer, and he was my second father. I had practiced law next door to him um, 
in the same hallway for close to 30 years. And one of the, he was one of the most devoted Christians I've ever known. And I knew this funeral would be packed and be packed full of lawyers and judges. And as a group, lawyers are a tough bunch of folks, most of whom are not Christians. And as I felt myself writing the eulogy, I felt a real tug to tell the truth about the gospel at the funeral. And ultimately I did, but it was hard not to fall back into that fear of what people might think. But in the end I decided I didn't care what people thought. I wanted to honor Fred, to tell the truth about Jesus just as he would have if he had been there, and to give God the glory. Because when you commit your life to Christ, you care far more about what God thinks than what people think, and man, that gives you some freedom. It also gives you freedom to surrender the unimportant. When you surrender to God's plan for your life, you can let go of things you thought were really important, but really aren't. My daughter played a lot of soccer, and she planned to play soccer in high school and maybe even in college, and she had one bad concussion and then a second really bad concussion, and her soccer career was over. But it, it was hard on her and really disappointing. We had lots of conversations about what God might be up to in her life, and international mission work kept inserting itself into her life. And the, long story, the short story is of the, of the long version is she's ventured to Haiti, Honduras, Tanzania, and has meanwhile been answering the call from God to do mission work in a way that has transformed her life far more than scoring a soccer goal ever did. It took some trust on my part. Put your baby on a, on a plane to Honduras with people you don't really know and ask yourself, do you trust God? But God, God calls each of us differently to give up houses, careers, cars, clothes, money, time, addictions, because the promise of something greater is so clear. Matthew 10, verse 39 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, when you're willing to give up what you think is important and exchange it for what God thinks is important, you find a life more abundant than you've ever imagined and a freedom that you can only find in a life committed to Christ. So a relationship with Christ also gives you freedom to be yourself. Living in Christ means being free to be real, to pray with real and honest words, and to just have an ongoing conversation with God. I promise you there is no correct way to pray. And I can tell you from experience, God will tolerate you yelling at him. I was really upset a couple times, and I could kind of visualize Jesus leaning over to God saying, uh, Dad, you might remember Susan is one of our more difficult children. And still, he loves me, and he listens to me, and he hears my prayers. Freedom is also the freedom to worship in the way you feel called. It's okay to worship differently. At Horizons, we have a similar service to what you have here. Not a lot, not a lot of rituals and formalities, no very few dress clothes, no scripted responses. It's just us. It's just you and me here, God. Because there's nothing he doesn't already know about you. 
You can lay it all out right here and just worship. I almost never cry. It's just my personality. But when I'm in church and everything else is stripped away and we're in worship through music or the exact words I needed to hear in the sermon come to me and it feels like our pastor's talking directly to me, I know that God is reaching out and holding me together and it all just comes pouring out. But I'm free to be vulnerable in church more than anywhere out in the world and free to focus on what really matters. And I can lift my hands, I can drop to my knees, I can cry until my body shakes, shakes and it's okay. I don't have to worry about what someone else thinks. Because here's the important part, and I'm never very popular when I say this, but all of this, the music, the prayer, it's not about us. It's about God. This is for him and about him. And what we do in worship is to worship him better and deeper. So whatever brings you closer to him and in greater worship of him is okay in this room. And man, that is amazing freedom. Last and perhaps the most important point is that a relationship with Christ, committing your life to Christ, gives you the freedom to let go of the past. God makes it perfectly clear that your sins are forgiven. We say that all the time, but think about what the Bible tells you. 1 John 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, When you commit your life to Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. But for some of us, the hard part is forgiving ourselves. How many times has something prompted your memory back to your biggest failure, your ugliest secret? And you've thought, oh man, I cannot believe I did that. It was such a schmuck. But that, that schmuck place right there is not where God wants our head to be. Relationship with Christ gives us freedom from that past shame. More importantly, God commands us to let it go. Philippians says, forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Isaiah 43 says, forget former things, do not dwell on the past. God commands us to let it go. Because looking back distracts us from what he wants us to be doing. When we beat ourselves up or wallow in the shame of the past, it is at that moment that the evil one has his hands around our neck and he's whispering to us. Remember how you messed that up? Oh, that was bad. Look how you messed up God's plan for you. You'll never be forgiven. Guilt makes us vulnerable to the evil one's lies. And guilt from the past makes it hard to understand and receive God's great love for us. But this I promise you. God's love for us is greater than our regret and shame. God's love for us is greater 
than our regret and shame. I love how Max Lucado says it. He says, haven't you shouldered that guilt long enough? Let grace happen for heaven's sake. And then the flip side of guilt is forgiveness. A lack of forgiveness of others interferes with the freedom we find in Christ Jesus. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I get it. One of the hardest things to do is forgive someone who isn't sorry and accept an apology you never received. But when you bring that hurt to God, he promises to give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Just as he promises not to remember our sins and transgressions, he expects us to direct the same grace and mercy to those who hurt and disappoint us. The truth is that everything that's happened in our life has happened to bring us where we are today. And there was something in each hurt that we're supposed to learn from. But when we stay angry, we can miss the lesson. So if you've never committed your life to Christ, I really hope today is the day you choose to do it. Wherever you are, no matter what you've done, trust me. No one has ever out-sinned God's ability to forgive. No one has ever out-sinned God's ability to forgive. He wants your heart. He wants you to experience the freedom that comes in a life lived for Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for this congregation. We pray for forgiveness for our transgressions, and we pray for a heart to forgive those who've trampled on our hearts. We are so grateful for your mercy and the freedom that comes from a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that someone here today takes the step to pray with us that, God, you are the ruler of You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We surrender our lives to Christ as our Savior. We love you, God. We accept your Son as our personal Savior. And we seek to have a relationship with him that is real and personal. We commit our lives to you, Lord, today. In your name we pray, amen.